Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms and grandmas out there. And let me just encourage you, if you're a son, a daughter, grandson, granddaughter, spoil your mom today, okay? They deserve it more than you know. In fact, just a few minutes ago, I was talking with a good friend of mine, Shauna Bauer. She came up, and she has more kids than I can count, okay, a whole bunch of kids. And she dropped those kids off in the children's wing, and she said, well, we can go now, right? This is Mother's Day. I said, absolutely, it's Mother's Day. You do whatever you want, okay? So that's our MO today. Mom, do whatever you want. All right, so there's a story that's told about two elderly ladies that got pulled over by a police officer. And, and the lady who was driving, she said, officer, I was only driving 70 miles per hour. I wasn't going over the speed limit. And the officer said, ma'am, that's the problem. You can't drive 70 miles per hour on an interstate, okay? There's a minimum speed of 45 miles per hour. And the lady said, but the sign back there said 17. And the officer said, ma'am, that's Route 17, not a speed limit sign. And then he glances over at the lady, her companion, sitting in the passenger seat, who just looks terrified, like her hair is standing up, her eyes are bugging out. He said, is she all right? And the driver says, I don't know what her problem is, but I think it started back on Route 222. So. <laughs> so, so there are certain rules and regulations that all of us have got to follow in life. Right? There are laws that govern our land. They're established for our own benefit. And for all of us, I think growing up, we kind of learned to be sensitive, be aware of how our actions may affect people, even if there are no clear-cut guidelines, just to be sensitive to how other people may perceive what we're doing. But at what point along the way do we become overly concerned with the opinions and rules of other people, even well-intentioned Christians? You know, when I first became a believer in Jesus Christ, there were all these strange rules and regulations that came my way. They left me scratching my head. Things like don't play cards. Say what? Yeah, because cards are derived from tarot cards, which are of the devil. And, and besides, people might think you're gambling. And I'm like, well, I'm playing solitaire and go fish, right? No, no cards. And this one really hit me hard. Don't play rock and roll music. Don't even listen to it. I'm like, huh? That's my favorite music. Yeah, well, rock and roll music, see, it comes from the African voodoo tribes, and if you listen to it, it might lead you into a cultic frenzy. I'm like, never had that happen before, right? You know, don't drink out of that kind of glass because it might give the appearance that you're drinking an alcoholic beverage. I'm like, you mean like Jesus who drank wine? Like, oh, no, 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 Jesus didn't drink wine. It was grape juice, Huh? But, but, but the Bible says don't get drunk on wine. Well, well yeah, that, that may have been the real stuff or a whole bunch of the diluted stuff, but Jesus just drank grape juice. I mean, you can't make up this stuff, right? Don't, don't dance. I'm like, you mean like King David? Yeah. How many of you in here have ever been bombarded with legalistic rules and regulations in the name of Christianity? Let me just see your hands, okay? Almost all of us. And please don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying that we don't have to be conscious of how our testimony may affect other people. 
Like Romans 14, 21 says, it's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Yeah, I get that. But a problem arises when we become more concerned about what people think than what God thinks. In fact, in his gospel, John talks about some of the religious leaders of the day who wouldn't publicly acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, even though privately they believed in him. He says this, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Boy, if we're honest, I think many of us struggle with that same temptation. Now, maybe it has something to do with the way we were raised. Maybe it's our personality. Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe it's spiritual immaturity. But we want so desperately to be accepted by others that we're willing to compromise our convictions to please others. And this tendency, it shows up in people in a variety of ways. You know, maybe you're self-conscious about praying over your meal in a public restaurant. Or maybe you're inclined to go along with the majority opinion, whatever it may be. Maybe you're willing to overlook something that's really, really wrong in a close friend because you don't want to make waves, right? You don't want to disturb the peace. Well, in our passage today, we're reminded that God's approval should be our main concern in life. This is 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 6. Paul says, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and had been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. So we're in this series that we're calling Game Changers. And here, the Apostle Paul lays out one crucial ground rule for being a game changer in this world. You've got to live for an audience of one. You've got to live for an audience of one. It's summarized in this sentence, we are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. As long as you are more concerned with what people think than what God thinks, you'll never be a game changer in this world. But if you see God's pleasure first, God's desire, God's will, you can make a huge difference. Okay, so let's walk through our passage here. In verse 1, Paul says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. The word failure there, it's the Greek word kino. It means empty, without purpose. You see, since Paul was chased out of town so quickly, he might have been tempted to think that his visit didn't bear much fruit. But over time, he came to realize the fact that God actually had established a church in Thessalonica because of his visit. So it wasn't an empty or wasted effort. And next, Paul says, we had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. A little background here. In Philippi, Paul was arrested, beaten, and thrown in a jail. And that word insulted, it's a little light in the English. In the Greek, it means something more. It's hubrizo. It means public abuse, public humiliation. I mean, Paul endured some serious treatment, cruel treatment in Philippi. And then he was chased out of town because he created such a stir there. 
So he leaves Philippi, and next he comes to Thessalonica, and what does he do? He starts preaching again, just immediately. Verse 2, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. You see how Paul didn't back down because of the pressure of men. He lived for an audience of one. In Acts 17, we find out exactly what happened here. He went into the city, and then he went into the synagogue on three Sabbath days, preached about Jesus, and he saw a few converts. And among them were some prominent women of the city. But those who didn't believe in Jesus were so jealous of what was going on that they stirred up a riot against Paul. You know, it's been said wherever Paul went, he either started a revival or a riot, and sometimes both, okay? But when they went to arrest Paul, they couldn't find him. So what did they do? Well, they arrested some of his companions, threatened them, made him post bail, and then let him go. Well, those guys found Paul later on that evening and said, Paul, you, you got to get out of here to spare your life. And so he did. But after Paul left Thessalonica, apparently some of the people in the church were critical of Paul. I mean, can you imagine that church people being critical? Unbelievable. Yeah, they, they accused Paul, first of all, of being cowardly. Now you ran away under pressure, Paul. Some suggested he was greedy. Hey, you took our money and you're using it for selfish purposes. There's even a hint in the text that some thought Paul was immoral, that he was taking advantage of some of those prominent women who were converted. And this is all coming from within the church. You know, it's been said that more damage has been done to the name of Jesus and Christianity from those inside the church than those outside the church. That's sad. Folks, criticism is never pleasant, but it really hurts when it comes from within. When God's family is critical of you, it's way worse than the persecution of the world. And let me just say this. If your desire in life is to please people, if that's your goal in life, you're going to be discouraged a whole, whole lot. Because people are hard to please. You can do 98% of things right, and they'll focus on the 2% that's wrong. You can please people today. Tomorrow, they'll be dissatisfied. And no matter how much you do, it's never quite enough. People will always find something to criticize. You know, there's an old, old story that I'm sure some of you have heard. Uh, it really fits here. It's about a church that was searching for the perfect senior pastor, okay? And in the process, they received the following report from the pastor search committee. It said, we regret that we do not have a good report to give you. To date, we've been unable to find a suitable candidate for this church, although we have one promising prospect. We followed up on each of your suggestions with interviews or by calling at least three references, and the following is our confidential report. Adam, good man, but has problems with his wife. One reference told us how he and his wife enjoyed walking nude in the woods. Straight. Noah, Former pastorate of 120 years with no converts. Also prone to unrealistic building projects. He's out. Moses, a modest and meek man, but poor communicator. Even stutters at times. Sometimes blows his stack and acts rashly in business meetings. Some say he left an earlier church over a murder charge. Joseph, a big thinker, but a bit of a braggart. Believes in dream interpreting and has a prison record. Deborah, one word, female. <laughs> David, 
David's the most promising leader of all until we discover the affair he had with his neighbor's wife. Solomon, great preacher, but has a serious woman problem. Elijah, prone to depression, collapses under pressure. Hosea, a tender and loving pastor, but our people can never handle his wife's occupation. (laughs) You know Hosea's story, prostitute. (laughs) Jonah told us he was swallowed up by a great fish that later spit him out on the shore. We hung up. (laughs) John says he's a Baptist but doesn't dress like one. (laughs) Sleeps outdoors, has a weird diet, and provokes denominational leaders. Peter, too blue-collar, has a bad temper, even said to have cursed. He's a loose cannon. Paul, powerful CEO type and fascinating preacher. However, he's short on tact, unforgiving with young ministers, harsh, and has been known to preach all night. Timothy, too young. And then finally, Judas. His references are solid. A steady plotter, conservative, good connections, knows how to handle money. We're inviting him to preach this Sunday in view of a call. (laughs) Yeah, I hope you see the futility of trying to please people rather than living for the approval of God. See how God's standards are so different than man's standards. God has a much more realistic view, first of all, of human depravity, and second, of our need for grace. And if you live to please others, you will ultimately live a miserable life. First, because you can't. And second, because people will lead you astray. And that'll discourage you as well. You know, if you dedicate your life to trying to please certain people, your parents, your boss, somebody you respect, let me tell you what's going to happen. One day you're going to wake up and you're going to realize, you're going to discover that that person you've admired has feet of clay, that they're only human. And suddenly their approval won't matter as much anymore, and that'll discourage you, knowing that you've been knocking yourself out for years trying to impress somebody who's not as great as you thought. If there's one thing I've learned in over 30 years of pastoral ministry, it's this. We are all broken, imperfect people. We say it around here all the time. We are imperfect people learning to do life with a perfect God so we can experience the best life possible. We are broken, imperfect people. Trust me, whoever you look at and you think is all that, they're not. I've literally counseled thousands of people over my years of ministry, and even the most godly men and women I've known, they struggle with sin. So don't make it your life ambition to try to impress somebody, a human being who's just an unimpressive human being, ultimately. Instead, focus your efforts on impressing the only one who matters, God. A famous actor once said, I don't know the key to success, but I'll tell you the key to failure, trying to please everybody, trying to please everybody. All right, so in the next few verses, Paul is going to give us some tips on how to live for an audience of one, and they really flow out of the way Paul ministered. Let's walk through some of these. First of all, if you look at Paul, you see that Paul's manner was courageous. Verse 2. He said, we dared to tell you the gospel in spite of strong opposition. Paul said, I I wasn't a coward. If I was a coward, I would have never preached the gospel in the first place. I knew what the opposition was. I knew what the risks were. That word opposition in the Greek, agoni, we get our word agony from that. 
Paul endured things with agony. It, it was tough. And he had the guts to just speak the truth and let the chips fall where they may. And if you're going to live for an audience of one, it's going to take courage. It's going to take courage. Second, Paul's message was true. Verse 3 says, for the appeal we make does not spring from error. We're telling you the truth. This is an historical fact. The Son of God came from heaven, was born of a virgin, lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, died on a cross, rose on the third day, and he offers forgiveness and eternal life to all those who will simply believe in him. And there is no other way to heaven, no other way to God the Father than through Jesus. Again, if we're going to live for an audience of one, we got to be willing to speak the truth, whether it's hard for people to hear that message or not. The exclusive message that salvation comes through Jesus. Paul's message was true. Third, Paul's motive was pure. He said, for the appeal we make does not spring from impure motives. Yeah, it was ridiculous for people to suggest that Paul was preaching for money. In 1 Thessalonians 2.9, Paul says, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. If you look at this letter, six times in this letter, Paul appealed to the way he lived to back up how he preached. Can you do that? I mean, can you say, hey, do as I say and do as I do? In fact, he didn't accept a salary from the Thessalonians as a missionary. Wouldn't accept it. He worked night and day. He worked as a tent maker to support himself. And, and now they're suggesting that he's somehow greedy, that he's pocketing the money. You know why? Because he had taken up an offering for poor people. Paul said, not true. Verse 5, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. Paul said, I'm not a con man. That leads to the fourth point. Paul's methods were honest. Paul said, we never used flattery. We didn't try to trick you. We didn't flatter you. We didn't say nice things about you to exploit you or, or get you to do stuff, take advantage of you. You know, back in verse 3, Paul said, nor are we trying to trick you. That word trick, you fishermen will like this. It's the word dolo in the Greek. It was used to refer to the bait that fishermen would use to catch a fish. Paul said, I didn't, I didn't bait you. I didn't toss out that bait to hook you into Christianity. I didn't use clever sales techniques. All I did was preach the truth and rely on the convicting power of the Spirit. We should all follow Paul's example here. All we got to do is just speak the truth in love. We don't back away from the truth, but we don't exploit people with it. We don't manipulate people with it. We don't beat people with the truth. It's been said, truth without love is dogmatism. Love without truth is sentimentality. Speaking the truth in love is Christianity. See, that's what Paul did. And finally, Paul's mindset was unwavering. And I really want to focus on this one. You know, how could Paul just continue to be faithful in spite of all that resistance? Well, he knew the audience he was living for. And he wasn't going to be swayed. Verse 4, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. See, Paul knew who he was, and he knew what his job was. He said, I'm just a man charged by God to bring a message to other people. 
And folks, the gospel is not our own personal property. Like we can't adjust it in order to help it get a little bit more smooth reception with other people, right? Please people with that. Now it's a trust that we're supposed to deliver according to the owner's wishes, God. Whether the listeners like it or not, we just preach the truth. We preach the gospel. Paul said in verse six, we're not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Now, we can gloss over that statement, but I think that's pretty convicting right there. See, I think that most people are constantly looking for praise from other people. And that may be the number one reason we're not living solely for God's approval. We don't want the tension that's going to come with others. Now, it wasn't fun for Paul to be criticized, for Paul to be persecuted, but it never devastated him, didn't deter him. His concern was God's approval. And I think if we make up our minds that we're going to seek God's approval first, let me tell you what's going to happen. It's going to bring incredible peace into your life. And you're going to have a deep sense of integrity that just follows you around. Because you're going to know that there's a consistency with what you believe and how you live your Christian life. I remember back when I was in seminary, we were up in Dallas. <clears throat> I served at the church there in Dallas as the pastor of Christian education. I oversaw the children's ministry there. And I came into a staff meeting where the senior pastor and some of the staff had made a decision I wasn't comfortable with, namely using an upstairs portion of the office space that we were renting as a children's wing, even though it didn't pass fire inspection codes. And, and they reasoned that, well, those codes, they're for businesses Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, not, not for a church that just meets for a couple hours on Sunday. But the fire marshal had explicitly told us, no, we can't use that space. If there's a fire up there, those kids are not going to be able to get down in time. It's just not safe. And so when they asked for my opinion, I had to stand against the senior pastor and the other staff members and say, I can't go along with this. We'll be violating the law here. And, and let me tell you, the rest of the staff members, they frowned upon my resistance. They tried to talk me out of it, but I wasn't going to be pressured into going along with this decision I knew would be bad. And I got to tell you, that whole experience really sucked because <laughs> I became the Debbie Downer in the room, or the Dougie Downer, whatever you call a dude, I guess. But <laughs> I wasn't exactly the most popular pastor on staff that day. And I remember leaving the room just feeling bad. I mean, I'd rain on everyone's parade. But then as I reflected on it, I kind of was pumped up a little on the inside because I recognized, you know what? I took a stand publicly for what I believed in my heart of hearts to be true. I didn't waver there. And I thought about James 1.8. It says, a double-minded man is unstable in all he does. If your life is inconsistent, you get unstable. You get restless within. And if you cave to the pressure of people, you know what happens? You lose self-respect. But if you stand up for what you believe to be true, you stand up for God's ways, you'll develop a self-esteem that comes from God and not from others. And are you ready for the big surprise in all of this equation? <laughs> when you take a stand for what's true, when you live for God's approval first, you'll often get the respect of other people. I mean, they may disagree with you. They may oppose you harshly. But deep down inside, they'll respect you as a person who has the courage to stand up for what he or she believes is right. Crowd pleasers lose respect, even from the crowd, because they're wishy-washy. They're spineless. But if you seek God's will first, then you'll have the knowledge that, that you're approved by the ultimate judge of the universe, which is all that really matters. Now, since it's baseball season, let me give you 
a quick illustration from baseball. I want you to suppose that it's the bottom of the ninth inning and the score is tied. And let's say that the fans, all the fans, 50,000 fans, are chanting on the runner at first base to steal second. Like, go, go, steal, steal. But the manager in the dugout is giving him the hold sign. Okay, what is that player going to do? Well, if he's a team player, if he cares about whether he's going to play, he cares about his salary, if he cares about whether his team is going to win, he's going to pay attention to the manager regardless of what the crowd says. Because in that moment, there's only one person's opinion that really matters, and that's the manager. And you and I both know that if he took off for second and got picked off, that same crowd that was yelling steal would be yelling boo, right? You know why? It's because they don't have a lot invested in that player. Think about this. The opinions of other people shouldn't really matter very much because they don't have very much invested in you. It's seeking God's will, the ultimate manager of the universe that truly matters. And if you're wise, you'll seek his approval alone, his approval first, because he has plenty invested in you. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 to 4. This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. But there you see it again, Paul living for an audience of one. Paul said in verse 4, we speak as those approved by God. So he knew God approved of him. So he really wasn't worried one bit about pleasing other people. I mean, how refreshing would that be? Can you say that with Paul? <laughs> say what you will about me. But I'm living for his approval, not yours. I'm approved by God, so be gone, long one, right? Get out of here. I'm good. I'm good with God. Well, there's so much freedom that comes with that. You know, maybe you've been spending your life trying to please people. If, if that describes you, you really are a people pleaser. If you've been spending so much of your time trying to please people, maybe it's time to stop. Like right here, right now, this morning. And here's the question I'll leave you with. Are you living for an audience of one? Are you living for an audience of one? You know, you'll never be a game changer in this world until you get this principle down. And I really wish that I could somehow put into words up here the kind of freedom, the kind of relief, the kind of respect that comes our way when we stop concerning ourselves with the opinions of others and look only to the approval of our loving Heavenly Father. It'll change your life, people. I promise you, it'll change your life. Pray with me. Lord, I want to pray for each and every person in this room right now, that they would search their hearts in this area. And be honest, are we living for the approval of others? Or have we arrived at that point where we're looking to you?
and you alone, that we live for an audience of one. And I know for people in this room who, who like me, are people pleasers. We want other people to be happy with us. We want people to be pleased with us. That this may be the most important message you ever take to heart. Because when we arrive at that point, it makes all the difference. So God, would you give us the courage to blow off the, the fans and the stands who are all chanting at us and cheering us to do certain things. Because those people, they're, they're not who matter. And they're flaky and they'll let us down and they'll discourage us. God, as long as we're jumping through hoops for others, we'll never be the game changer we need to be. So God, I just pray that you would help us today, right now, to put just a stake in the ground. Say, from this time forward, I'm done. I'm done people pleasing. I'm looking to you and you alone, God. Lord, we recognize it's going to take your spirit working in us to give us the power to do that. We recognize that at times we'll stumble and we'll have to remind ourselves of this truth. But Lord, we want to make a difference in this world. We don't want to just go through life aimlessly. We want to be game changers. So God, help us. Help us, please, to apply this critical principle. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, let me just encourage you as we dismiss here. If you want to have the joy the peace, the freedom, the relief, the respect in life, then go today and go live for an audience of one, okay? Have an incredible week, people. <clears throat>